Hey, it's Charlie, and you're listening to the Encouragers United Podcast. The Apostle Paul, or some churches would call him Saint Paul, is also known by his Hebrew name Saul of Tarsus historically. He was a Christian apostle, although he was not a member or one of the original 12 who spread the teachings of Jesus into the first century world, Paul is generally considered one of the most important figures of the New Testament. And from the mid-30s AD to the mid-50s, he founded several Christian communities in Asia Minor and Europe. 14 of the 27 books in the New Testament have been traditionally attributed to Paul's writings. Seven of these epistles are undisputedly uh, his, and they are authentically written by Paul. Today, Paul's epistles continue to be the vital roots of theology, worship, and pastoral life for Protestant traditions of the West. As well as for Eastern Catholic and Orthodox traditions, Paul's influence on Christian thought and practice has been characterized as being profound and pervasive. What would Paul think of the modern church? Well, here in my uh, rebroadcast of a sermon that I recently delivered, I predict that he probably would express to us exactly what he was expressing to the Corinthian church in his letter called 1 Corinthians. I hope this encourages you that there is hope for the church and that we do really belong together, serving side by side in unity. Enjoy this episode of the Encouragers United podcast. You know, and when we talk about why people don't attend church, why people aren't even involved in church these days, we get a lot of common answers, don't we? People have been hurt. They've been offended. They've had disagreements or conflicts because of the church. Most of us have probably felt that way sometimes, perhaps at times. Even within the family of God, there's conflicts and disagreements. There's ways of seeing things uh, different ways. We have a wonderful set of leaders here and the elders and pastors, the church council here at Dayspring. We've had to deal with that disagreement, that conflict. We've dealt with issues as we will continue to. We go through many dis uh, discernments uh, each month, each week. We go through a lot of what all churches are going through these days, but we praise God for the opportunity to serve him here together. And I praise God that we are together. That was even reiterated this week. We are together. We're embarking on a great study here, and I get to be the lead-off hitter. I'm just the guy. The book of 1 Corinthians might be an answer to your question, what would Paul think of our modern-day church? 2,000 years later, we've formed our church, our little fellowship. And what would the, the Apostle Paul think if he spoke or he taught here in the 21st century? Well, I think we're in luck because 1 Corinthians might be just at the heart of what he would tell the modern-day church. You see, Corinthians, the Corinthian church, was a relatively small and young congregation. They were divided by their culture and their backgrounds, their social class, their spiritual giftedness. They had lawsuits against each other. They argued over the role of women in their services, in leadership, how to express the spiritual gifts and their service to each other on a daily basis. They struggled with issues of sexuality and relationships, 
what they could eat and what they shouldn't eat, how they should perform the Lord's Supper, communion, and even about how to give their money. They were divided on all of these issues. And this letter, written approximately 54 AD, to give you some time reference, 54 AD, 1 Corinthians is the response that their founder, the Apostle Paul, writes to them to straighten out some of the issues, to give them godly, Holy Spirit-inspired wisdom, to reorient them in a fast-paced and pluralistic, relativistic, and sinful world that the Corinthians found themselves in, and encouraging rather than to let the culture get a grasp on them, that they would get a grasp on the culture, and that they would be empowered together to represent Jesus in this dark place called Corinth. Hmm, does that sound familiar? (laughs) Because I believe that is exactly what the modern church is doing today. And overall, the next several weeks and months, a variety of us will be preaching and bringing lessons out of this wonderful, awesome letter. But my task today, as I said, is just to give an introduction give you some background, a context, if you will, to remind us all of who we are and what we're created for, just like the Corinthians. And there's a spoiler alert. We're created to be unified together in fellowship to glorify God and to represent Him in the world, to love Him and to love each other. In spite of our differences, in spite of the issues, the challenges that may come, we're called to be together. And so first off, I want to give you some geography. The city of Corinth, maybe geography 101 here. Because if you're like me, I didn't even really realize exactly where it's located, right? Corinth's geography made it a very strategic and wealthy city. I want to show you a couple maps here. Here's, the, uh, here's a, a window into the Middle East. If you look way down here to the lower right-hand corner of this map, you'll see Jerusalem. Samaria, Nazareth, Judea, we call it. The Holy Lands, the home base for the Jewish faith and where we read the Gospels and much of, of, uh, of what Jesus did while he was on, on earth. As we move to the west and to the north, we see the island of Cyprus, Tarsus, some cities like Colossae. There's a letter written to them. This is one of the places where Paul planted a church in Galatia. Ephesus is another one of those cities. If we go up and around this sea, we see Philippi, Thessalonica. You can't see it on there, but this Greece, Grecian peninsula, we have Athens and, of course, the city of Corinth in modern-day Greece today. And the next map will zoom in a little bit on that geography a little closer. Athens, of course, a great city, the capital of Greece even today. And we see Corinth across this little land bridge, this little peninsula, if you will. As you can guess, Corinth had two seaports, one on the east, one on the west. This tiny stretch of land that connected the Aegean and the Adriatic Seas is called the Isthmus Peninsula. And Corinth is this historical city right in the middle. And Corinth was a strategic point for major trade routes. And if you, can, if you can imagine, if you wanted to get up past Italy and up into Europe, then, and you were on this other side over here, rather than going all the way down and around the southern route, you might just cart things across this little peninsula right there. And even Google Maps today showed me that it's 3.5 miles across. In fact, what historians say is that people would stop on one side and cart their goods 
by horse or mule or whatever, and the 3.5 miles really wasn't that bad of a, of a trip. Hop on another ship, and away you go. You saved yourself a couple months. Pretty neat, huh? And then likewise, what I also read is that some ships were even uh, you know, wealthy enough, they just carted the whole ship across there on rollers. Paul founded a church here in the years 50 and 51 AD. Okay? And actually, we read about this in the book of Acts. And so as a little bit of a background, if you want, just turn to the book of Acts, because I'm going to read the first couple verses of the chapter 18. Chapter 18 outlines a part of Paul's second missionary journey through this area of the world. And this is what it, what it says there. Uh, this is Acts 18, starting in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come to Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to visit them, and he stayed and worked with them because they were tent makers by trade, just as he was. And every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Jews and Greeks alike. And when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself fully to the word, testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed and insulted him, he shook out his garments and told them, your blood be on your own hands. I'm innocent of it. And from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader and his whole household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard the message believed and were baptized. The start of a church the start of the Corinthian church. It was really based on a disagreement that Paul went there to preach to the Jews, to speak in the synagogue. Listen, I have the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. And they scoffed at him. They insulated themselves. <laughs> and so he just said, listen, you're on your own because people need to hear. And so he started his ministry to the Gentiles here in Acts 18. And he started this church. In just two short years, however, the wheels were about to fall off at this church. <laughs> Paul writes this letter to the church to address the problems that this church was having. In fact, we're going to read and learn later that it is actually a response to a plea that someone gives him about these issues that the Corinthians are, are struggling with. So think about it. You've got a port city with people coming from all over the world. There's an international flavor, exquisite fine dining, spices and clothes and culture and music and religion from all over the world coming to the crossroads of Corinth. And just like any other church that's trying to integrate itself into the culture but not be of the culture, they had problems. They didn't know what to do. They came to issues that seemed unreconcilable and they made some very bad decisions. You see, they diluted the gospel. They changed it. They started to fight over the things that didn't really matter. And they almost destroyed themselves. So how might you expect Paul to start this letter to the Corinthians? And given the present situation, the conflict, the problems, the divisions that they had, you would expect that uh, Paul was about to go off on them. Go ahead, Paul. Let them have it. But Paul begins his letter with grace and encouragement. It may surprise us that he begins by pointing out the work of God's grace in their lives. The work of God's grace in their church. 
Scholars believe that this might quite possibly be the most troubled church in the New Testament era. (laughs) We're going to go through it. They had all types of trouble, not unlike we do in our culture today. Let's turn to Corinthians now and start in chapter 1, verse 1. And we're just going to walk through this verse by verse. It is quite interesting. So let's read carefully here and start together. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. I thought it's nice that he put his name in there. Uh, Scholars believe Sosthenes was one of the synagogue leaders in Corinth, and he was with Paul traveling, but he happens to be the secretary that's actually writing the letter. That's why he's mentioned. And in verse 1, we see that evidence, proof, that Paul is actually writing this letter. It is I, and he reminds him here that he is an apostle called by the will of Christ Jesus. It's not just a title of authority. The title, it's a title that represents that Paul is set aside. He's special. He's not only their founder, their shepherd, the apostle that started the whole movement, but that he is speaking the words of God to them. We need to think about this because I think we take this for granted. We have this document and it is so, so precious to our lives. I'm appreciating here in our church, even just locally right now, the resurgence that we're seeing in people reading their Bible. They're, they're, they're getting on the app. They're, they're, they're joining their friends. They're reading daily. They're listening and they're absorbing and they're allowing the Word of God to work on them as they submit themselves to this wonderful teaching and this writing that is inspired by the Holy Spirit just as it was in 54 AD. And so let's not miss that. This speaks to us as much as as it speaks to the Corinthians, right? He reminds... ...them of who he is. Paul, the Apostle Paul. All right, let's tackle verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those in every place, Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, that's a dense verse. He reminds them that they belong to God, that they are a church of God. They represent Him in that place, in that world. They're not to be distracted by being a church of all of these other gods, all these other distractions, all these other things that seem to be pressing in on them. Though they are a church of God, the only God. That's a great distinction. But he reminds them that God looks at these messed up, broken people. And he says, these are my people. And I have a special plan for them. They are my people. He goes on to say in verse 2 that they are sanctified in Christ Jesus. What does that mean to you? Sanctified. That they are a sanctified people. Through Jesus, they are made holy. That's what that means. They have been made holy in Christ because of their relationship to him, because of the Holy Spirit's presence in their hearts, by their belief, by their faith. They're sanctified. They're set apart. They're made holy. Just Jesus died for them. And because of their belief, they are given his righteousness and his holiness. Just as we, we are holy. We are sanctified in Jesus, right? And so if you're a church of God, sanctified by Christ, How shall you live? How would you react? What decisions would you make? How might you respond to the world around you? Called by God, 
sanctified in Jesus. They are called to be saints. Called to be saints. This root word simply means holy ones. Following the same kind of logic. The the Corinthians had been given the holiness of God. And they are called to be saints in their world. They're expected to live in a different way. Together with all of us who call on the name of Jesus in the universe. See, it's not just about us. It's not just about the Corinthians. It's about a worldwide global movement that is happening in that time and in our time. We are called to be holy. And it is promised to us that one day we're going to be free of all this. But in the meantime, we're continually being sanctified day by day together. Together. That's exciting. Let's look at verse 3. Grace and peace to you. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we don't often talk that way with each other. Paul is this apostle, right? He's, he's apostolic in the way that he, I, he speaks for God here. You realize the tense of this? Read it again. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. He's speaking on behalf of God and Jesus. Grace and peace to you. I think that's profound. We kind of slip right through these introductions sometimes, but all the problems, all the brokenness, all the frustration that Paul might have felt for this fledgling church that's screwing things all up, he starts with grace and peace. Like that's what a church in conflict probably needs most. Grace and peace. And it's my testimony behind the scenes, and I can tell you that even when we've disagreed here at Dayspring, it's been about grace and peace grace and peace to you from God and from the Lord Jesus. In a church that is in conflict, to receive a letter that starts by saying, you're called by God, the church of God, sanctified in Jesus, made holy because of what he's done for us, grace and peace to you. Okay, let's keep reading. Because then he starts the next paragraph, which continues his greeting. In verse four, I give thanks to my God always for you, Because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. Surprising, huh? He could start by saying, I am so sorry that I even brought this to you people because you've twisted it and made something out of it that is so far from the truth that I'd rather I didn't even introduce you to Jesus. No, 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 no. He never says that. He would never say that. He gives thanks to God for the Corinthian church. As messed up as we're going to find that it is in the next several months, Paul uses the phrase frequently throughout all of his letters, I give thanks for you. I give thanks for you. He's cheering them on, right? We're going to learn some of the problems that this church is having. And we may even wonder why or how Paul could even give thanks for them. Some even challenged the authority of Paul. They said, oh, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm following Apollos, or I'm following Peter, or I'm following this guy. They were so divided, they they didn't really know which way was the right way. But nonetheless, Paul finds the good, and he gives thanks for them. Read verse 5 with me. He gives thanks that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. That you were enriched in him with all speech, in all speech and all knowledge. Hmm. They were enriched. It's an interesting word. They were enriched. That, that means adding something, right? You, you, you nourish. You enrich it. And they have been enriched with speech and knowledge from God. That's a powerful statement. They've been left with a great treasure when Paul left 
and, and, and you know, continued on in his journey. They had been given the answers to some of the most difficult questions of life. They had been given everything that they need. Paul tells them and reminds them that they had received the greatest knowledge of all. And it was through this knowledge that they would be built up and that they would be sustained to go change the world. And you know, as Christians, here at Dayspring and proper in the 21st century, we've been enriched. We have this greatest knowledge that those in our communities and those in our neighborhoods, those right next door to us desperately need. And they don't even, need, they don't even know they need it. Some don't even know. Just like the Corinthians may face a pluralistic, relativistic cu culture that was coming and going and making money and grinding and grinding and grinding, they had been given everything they needed. We have the answers to life's biggest questions. We have the answers that so many are searching for. We have the gospel. We have truly been enriched. And this enrichment, it transcends the world. It transcends our problems. It transcends even our differences. Let's look at verse 6. He continues here. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. I give thanks to my God for you because of the grace that was given. That in every way you've been enriched. And that the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. He reminds them that the testimony about Jesus, right? They believed it. They started their church. They are faithful Christian people. It stuck. They've messed it up in some ways, but at the heart, they're Christians. It stuck. It endured. And for that, Paul is giving thanks. He reminds us and them that our faith is real, right? Read verse 7 now. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7. I believe he's reassuring the Corinthians and us, obviously, that they have what they need. They ought not argue over the gifts. Oh, which gift is more important or which one is more special or we don't have that gift or we don't need this gift or we have that one, but we don't have that. No, they have everything that they need with regard to the spiritual gift, talent, resources, everything that they need. And I want you to think about that logic because I believe we have everything we need as well. If God has truly given us the greatest gift of all, his son, why would he withhold anything else from us? Why would he withhold anything that we need to do what he's called us to do? There's the catch. Why would he withhold from us or them anything that they need, that we need, to do what they were called to do, we were called to do? That's the difference, right? Because if they're going off on these rabbit trails or down these dark holes on these issues, they may have felt lack. They may have felt that they didn't have what they need to deal with that issue. You know why? Because they were not following God. So my fair friend warning is that if you're feeling like you don't have what you need, you don't have what you, what, what you, what you think you need to, to, to figure out, no, it, it might be what you're doing and you're not doing what God has called you to do. They were once enemies of God, and now they're in God's will. They've been brought into a fellowship. And that's what's going to be continued here in verse 8. Who will sustain you to the end, speaking of Jesus, of course, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, as they eagerly await and work towards Christ's revealing, his second coming. Paul tells them that Christ will sustain them to the end, guiltless. It's as if he's saying, listen, I'm about to take you to the woodshed. And it's not going to be comfortable. But believe and trust that God will sustain you to fix these problems, 
to deal with these issues and he will present you blameless, guiltless on the day of his return. In verse 8, they've been called to, into the fellowship of Jesus Christ our Lord. They've been called into a fellowship. That's verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. God is faithful even when we're not. And we're called into a fellowship. You know what? I praise God that we have been also called into a fellowship. It's called Dayspring Christian Fellowship. We're together in this. And over the next several weeks, we're going to learn a great deal about how to handle conflict, how to handle certain issues, how to handle difficulty, even when we disagree. But Paul here begins on focusing on the good. He gives thanks to God for the good things that he sees in them. We're going to learn about how we view problems in the church. We all have problems. That's why we need a Savior. But let us forget that those problems are never too great for our God. They're never too great for our God. And they're never too great for the people of God called the church of God. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's enriched us. He's given us everything we need until he returns. And we even now belong to the fellowship of his people, both here locally, but also globally. And he writes this letter now to help them know and realize how they're to live together in unity, in peace, in love, and in harmony with each other. God is faithful. And it's by God that you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. This is a Christ-centered church. Christ-centered church. That's what it's all about. You know, it reminded me here this week of Psalm 133.1, simple little verse, but it says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of the Encouragers United podcast with me, Charlie Grimes. I would love for you to do me a favor and leave a comment and a rating for this podcast. It means more to me than you know, because that's how people are alerted about the Encouragers United podcast. I invite you to simply let me know how I'm doing, and that refers others to listen as well. I appreciate and read every one of your comments, and I'm trying to make the show better and better each week. For more information and to connect with optimistic, enthusiastic leaders all over the world, be sure to search for Encouragers United on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, or visit my website, charlesrgrimes.com. <laughs>